You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Basically, this is what humility looks like. It means putting Jesus first, others second, and self last. But it also involves knowing ourselves, our gifts, our abilities, accepting ourselves, and being ourselves to the glory of God. It also involves not to think more highly of ourselves or less highly than we ought to. Meekness and humility are not traits of weakness. Scripture teaches that you are to love Jesus and others first. Doing so doesn't mean you minimize your strengths or don't take care of yourself. It's essential to know your gifts, abilities, and accept who God has made you to be. Pastor Mike encourages you to be the best you can be for his kingdom's sake in today's lesson. Share the gifts the Lord has blessed you with in a way that draws others to Him, not in a way that brings attention to you. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 as he continues his message, Walking Together in Love. In chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, that is Christ. If you look at it in context, Christ is our peace. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now, who is he referring to? He's made them one. He's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. Remember, we spent a lot of time talking about this in one of our previous studies. And listen, let me tell you something. The Jews had nothing to do. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles. Remember, if a, if a Jew was walking down the street, and let's say, for example, he was on his way to the synagogue to worship, and he happened, even if his raiment happened to touch a Gentile on his way to worship in the temple or in the synagogue or, or whatever, he would have to go through all of these rites of purifications, you know, just to be able to go enter into the temple to worship the Lord. The Jews had nothing to do. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles, nor did they want to have anything to do with the Samaritans as well. You know, the common opinion of the day, as it relates to the Jews, and this was even promoted by the rabbis back then, was that the Gentiles were created by God to fan the fires of hell. How do you like that? And that's the way that they thought of Gentile people. Isn't that crazy, right? And so think about that. Because of the gospel, because of what God has done for us in Christ. Now in context, think about that. Go back now to verse 14. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So if you ever ask yourself this question, and listen, it's not as if, you know, over the several years that we've been, you know, that we've planted the church and stuff that we haven't had, you know, our own specific problems with people and, and irritations and things of that nature. But, you know, but I mean, isn't it amazing? Just look around this room, the diversity of uh, the people that attend Harvest Christian Fellowship. I mean, it's a miracle that we haven't strangled one another, right? And that we've been able to accomplish anything. I mean, the truth be told, right? Because, I mean, we come back, we come out of so many different backgrounds and, you know, we bring all of these crazy excess baggage along with us when we come into the body. We think we know more than someone else knows or, or better or, or we're wiser and, and uh, no, it has to be done this kind of a way and stuff. It, it's amazing that we've even been able to accomplish some of the things that we've been ac- accomplished over the many years that we've been here, Right? The only reason why that has happened is because you have to put God behind it. And we are a people who want to be led by God's Holy Spirit. And we are striving. And and that's what it takes. And we'll we'll talk some more about that in a moment. But there has to be an effort on our part to promote unity within the body. It's not something that just happens automatically. Each one of us needs to give ourselves to that occupation. It's so very, very important. So anyway, the first way that we show that we are responsible and are living up to our calling for what God has done for us is through promoting unity and love towards one another. But again, this is already a spiritual reality. And therefore, think about this, our responsibility then is just simply to guard, protect, and preserve what we already have. We already have it, you see. Again, Christ is the common denominator. It's not even something that we have to muster up. It's already a reality. We already possess it. All we need to do is guard it, protect it, and preserve it. And that's the reason why I've given our first point the title, Logical and Simple. Now, that brings us to our second point, and that is unity, not uniformity. Let me say it again. Unity, not conformity. So you might want to write that down. Now, let's talk about unity. Now, when I speak of unity, I don't mean uniformity. That's quite different. You see, unity comes from within and is a spiritual grace that God works in us, while uniformity is the result of pressure from without. You know, we're pressured to look a certain way. We're pressured to act a certain way. We're pressured to speak a certain way, right? Have you ever been in a church like that? And uh, I don't want to mention certain denominations, and I don't want to put down other churches or whatever, because there's some great churches right here in New York City. But uh, And, that, you know, that's some of the reason why we've kind of strayed away from denominationalism because of the stigmas that are a part of denominationalism. We're not against denominationalism. You know, know, people have uh, suggested that we, Calvary Chapel ministries are a denomination because there are certain things that we all adhere to and the stigmas, you know, and the, the people that are overseers of those denominations 
place pressure upon the people who attend their churches to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to speak a certain way. Isn't that true? Have you ever been in those churches? I have. you got to dress a certain way. Oh, man, I remember uh, I was in Hawaii. I was attending a Calvary Chapel there, and I became friendly with, uh, I, I better not mention the denomination, but uh, I was asked to be a youth pastor in Juneau, Alaska. So we went from Maui, Hawaii, right? What a, what a change, to Juneau, Alaska, to be a youth pastor. It was the first full-time uh, ministry that I ever had as a youth pastor. And anyway, when I got there, it was a pretty conservative church. And when I got there, the senior pastor bought me a three-piece vested suit. And he wanted me to wear that three-piece vested suit. Although, i got to tell you something, I look pretty good in that three-piece <laughs> suit. But, uh, but it wasn't me, uh, particularly back then, because my hair was really long back then. Remember when I first came here, those of you who were around when I first came here. And uh, it kind of didn't fit. But I did look pretty good in that three-piece vested suit. But, you know, they were trying to, like, put me in a mold kind of a thing, right? You see, that's not unity. That's uniformity, all right? It's, it comes from people placing pressure from without. Now, to help us to understand this, Paul uses the human body as a picture of Christian unity. Let me give you a cross-reference. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And notice Paul goes on, by the way, he's the writer of 1 Corinthians, but then he goes on here in the book of Ephesians, notice in verse 16, jump ahead to chapter 4 in verse 16, and he basically uses the same illustration in this section, because in verse 16 of chapter 4, he says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, edifying or building up of itself in love. So we need to realize then that each part of the body is different from the other parts of the body. And here's the good news. We don't have to be the same. We don't have to be the same. We don't have to look the same. We don't have to act the same. We don't have to speak the same, right? Yet all make up one body and work together and are necessary to each other. Every one of you has some kind of a gift, some kind of a skill. God has given those things to you for the edification, for the building up of the entire body. And you have certain gifts that I don't possess. I trust and I, I, I think I have a gift of teaching, so I'm going to put that particular gift uh, to work. There's others who have the gift of uh, exhortation. I don't want to mention any names, but there are certain people here that, you know, that's who they are. They just love getting together with people and exhorting them and encouraging them in their walk in their relationship with the Lord. There are other people who have other ministry gifts, like administrations. You know, they can take care of the books and the the finances and and those sort of things, and they're really good at it. There are another individual who has the gift of prayer, and so uh, they're prayer warriors. Praise the Lord. We need all of those gifts are so necessary that we function as a whole body. They're all necessary. And one isn't greater, one gift isn't greater than another, shouldn't be considered greater than another, right? And uh, we need each other. 
uh, to perform and to do the things that God called us to do. And so he uses this interesting illustration. Now, if we are going to preserve the unity of the Spirit, notice in verse 3, that's what we're exhorted to do, we have to have these necessary Christian graces. And if you look at the list in verses 2 and 3, there are actually six of them listed there. And I'd like to go over them, and this becomes our third and our final point this morning. There are six graces that are listed there that lend itself to our promoting this unity and fellowship and love within the body. And again, each one of them are the way in which we are to relate to each other if there is to be unity. Now, this is the way that we are to relate to one another. Now, you know, now some of these graces may be missing in some of us. You may possess, you know, we're going through this list. There's six of them. You may have three out of the six. Okay, so what do we need to do? Well, how about praying for the other three? Because all of these things are essential. All of these things are necessary. We don't want a church that's always bickering and fighting and, and division and, and uh, not willing to work together. So as we go through this list, if you feel as if this is something that's absent or lacking in your own lives, you know, take note of that and make it your priority to pray for these things. And just ask the Lord to give them to you. These are graces. These are things that God wants to work within our lives. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have even encouraged us along these lines if it wasn't possible for us to possess loneliness and gentleness and long-suffering and forbearance and peace, you know, being a peacemaker. If these things weren't even a possibility or could have even been a reality, then Paul would have never, you know, encouraged us to secure these things, right? I mean, it would have been futile. It would have been empty. Okay, so let's go through this list. And at the very top of the list, the first grace is lowliness or, more accurately, humility. So write those words down. Lowliness or humility. Now, to help you understand what Paul was referring to here, someone has said, and I quote, humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. And it's true, really, right? When you think that you've arrived and, oh, I'm so humble, I'm so, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, lowly, and, and you, you feel if you're projecting yourself upon people in, in that way, you're not humble at all, right? Basically, this is what humility looks like. It means putting Jesus first, others second, and self last. But it also involves knowing ourselves, our gifts, our abilities, accepting ourselves, and being ourselves to the glory of God. It also involves not to think more highly of ourselves or less highly than we ought to. That's lowliness and humility. Did you get it? Do, do I need to say it again one more time? You got it? Mina, you got it? Okay, all right, so I don't need to get it again. So that's what loneliness uh, looks like. So that's the first grace that we ought to uh, seek the Lord for, develop within our lives. The second grace, notice there, let's go back to our list, is gentleness, or more accurately, meekness. Now, when we, when we hear that word meekness or meek, we think of someone who is wimpy, right? 
especially guys. And, uh, you know, we want to come off and project ourselves as self-assertive. And we've got things under control. And I'm the captain of my own fate and destiny. You know, guys like to project themselves in that kind of a way. This is one of those graces that a lot of guys don't want to have anything to do with. But listen, we're not talking about being wimpy here. And we're not talking about being weak. Meekness or gentleness is not weakness. It's rather power under control. So that's a great definition. Let me say it again. It's power under control. Let me give you an example of this. We are told that Moses was a meek man. In fact, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 12, in verse 3, could you imagine? The Bible tells us that he was the meekest man upon the face of the earth. We're talking about Moses. And yet, remember the tremendous power he exercised when God got a hold of him. Think of the tremendous things that God accomplished through Moses. Let me give you another example, something else to think about. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, in verse 29, we are told there that Jesus was meek and lowly in heart. And yet, think about this. He drew, in Mark's Gospel in chapter 11, in verse 15, he drove the money changers from the temple. I love that picture of Jesus, you know? That's got to be my favorite picture of Jesus in all of the Gospels. You know, most of the time, Jesus is projected as the, the suffering Savior, you know, the Lamb of God, and that's true. And I love those pictures that are painted of Jesus, but I love Jesus, you know, going into the temple and just overturning the tables. And just, you know, they, they had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. They were charging exorbitant prices, you know, for the various animals that were being used in the offerings of the sacrifices. And when they offered money in tribute, you know, to the Lord and their tithes and their offerings, it had to be in their own currency. And so they were charging exorbitant prices in the exchanges of their money. And so that's the reason why you, uh, Jesus brings the indictment against them. He says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And he goes in there and he just overturns the money changers' tables. And all of the animals that are in their cages, he just, you know, lets them out. He goes in there with a cat and nine tails, and he's just, you know, he's creating havoc. I love it. What a beautiful picture. My kind of a guy. I want you to think about that. So Jesus was meek. The Greek word that's translated into our English word, meekness, in the Greek language, has a fuller, more broader, many more and several translations that we have in our English language. In the Greek language, the word that's translated in our English Meekness is the Greek word pros, and it's used to describe three different experiences. This word was used for a soothing medicine. It was also used for a cult that had been broken. And then lastly, as a soft wind. Now, what did those three things have in common? Well, in each case, you have power, but that power is under control. So that's what meekness is. So don't be confused about this grace that we're being encouraged to seek the Lord for. The next grace, let's go back to our list, is long-suffering. Do you see that? More literally, long-tempered. And that is the ability to endure discomfort without 
fighting back. In other words, not trading evil for evil. Now, I got to tell you something. I've run into certain people that that's their specialty. Their specialty is to irritate me. <laughs> Now, I think we all know people exactly like that. They're just, I mean, they're just flat out irritating. I think they get some kind of joy out of being an irritation. I mean, that's really who they are. You see them coming, it's like, oh man, you know, a God, you know, help me to be long suffering and long tempered. Listen, we all run into that sort of thing, right? We shouldn't be surprised by it. We just trust that you can be sure that this is going to happen right here in the body. You're going to run up against this sort of thing. And、uh, remember, this is a hospital where people come to get well. But get well a little bit quicker, would you? You know, and stop being as irritating as you are. And, and、uh, no, I'm only fooling. I'm just goofing around. There's no one that's here that's irritating except myself. And、uh, so, anyway, this leads to the mentioning of the next grace of forbearance. They sort of like kind of go hand in hand. Or notice the phrase, bearing with one another in love. You see that there in verse 2? Forbearance. If you're thinking about the next grace, just write that word down forbearance. Now, this is a grace that cannot be experienced apart from love. It, it, it's really a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Because think about it in the fruit of the Spirit chapter, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, in verse 4, it says, Love suffers long and is kind. So, forbearance. Love suffers long and is kind. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And it is revealed in the life of a believer who is walking. In the Spirit. That person who's walking in the Spirit is going to possess forbearance for other people. Now, this is it's just a natural product, an outcome of your walking in the Spirit, the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life. And that's exactly the way that you can tell whether or not someone is walking in the Spirit, is filled with the Spirit, is baptized in the Spirit. That person is very patient. And long suffering and forbearing. you know? That's the way you can gauge whether or not that person is truly walking in the Spirit. Now, this next grace that contributes to the unity of the Spirit, notice there in verse 3, he refers to it as endeavoring. Endeavoring. That is to be eager to maintain or guard the unity of the Spirit. Remember, as I mentioned before, it's not just something that happens by itself. There's our part in this. We engage in this occupation, right? We endeavor, we maintain, we guard the unity of the Spirit. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse by verse study through the book of Ephesians. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can also listen online by going to the resources tab, or you can find them on One Place and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Fenizio. 
Viewing our recent services in their entirety can be an option as well through Vimeo. Just follow the link at our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House. If you're ever in or near the Midtown Manhattan area and are looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here, and you can reserve your seat at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, don't hesitate to give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by following the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.